the idea that excellence is a product of training isn't surprising. Athletes, musicians, and those who achieve preeminence in other areas requiring superior personal performance are well aware of the necessity and value of continuous training. The point that may not be as obvious is that training and habituation are prerequisites for areas of excellence beyond developing physical skills and individual talents. They are necessary for emotional excellence, moral excellence, interpersonal excellence, as well as intellectual excellence. The point that may be even less obvious is that Aristotle also said that training and habituation are prerequisite to virtue. People have the capacity to be virtuous but become virtuous people only through training and habitually acting rightly. One becomes virtuous by acting virtuously. How does one act virtuously? Cicero advised, it is our special duty that if anyone needs our help, we should give him such help to the utmost of our power. Confucius said, to be able to practice five things everywhere under heaven constitutes perfect virtue. Gravity, generosity of soul, sincerity, earnestness, and kindness. Although how one practices gravity is less than obvious, the other four requirements need no explanation. John Wesley was even clearer when he said, do all the good you can. By all the means you can. In all the ways you can. In all the places you can. At all the times you can. To all the people you can. As long as ever you can. Now that leaves little room for doubt or negotiation. The message has not changed over the millennia. Dante said, he who sees a need and waits to be asked for help is as unkind as if he had refused it. Gandhi said, we must be the change we wish to see in the world. Is virtue the path to personal joy and fulfillment? Probably not. George Bernard Shaw said, just do what must be done. This may not be happiness, but it is greatness. Why? As George Eliot put it, our deeds determine us as much as we determine our deeds. Remember Aristotle's message, we are what we repeatedly do. The choice is to habitually act rightly or to act wrongly. At that level, it's not much of a choice. The key is remembering that acting virtuously is an essential part of one's ongoing excellence training. Okay, let me take a turn at this. Most people have become convinced that vanity is a bad quality to have. In fact, it may actually be a cardinal vice which makes it more than bad, it's terrible. If one explores this negative pronouncement in more depth though, it ain't necessarily so. For example, Lord Chesterfield said, to this principle of vanity, which philosophers call a mean one, and which I do not, I owe a great part of the figure which I have made in life. There you go. Chesterfield thought vanity was one of the keys to his success. It may be that vanity is little more than one of those things that is just going around. If so, even you may have a little yourself. As Blaise Pascal suggested, vanity is so secure in the heart of man that everyone wants to be admired, even I who write this, and you who read this. No less an icon than Mark Twain said, there are no grades of vanity, there are only grades of ability in concealing it, and there is no end to how clever people can be when concealing it. To illustrate, Louis Cronenberger suggested this strategy, nothing so soothes a vanity as a display of greater vanity in others, it makes us vain, in fact, of our modesty, so if you are uncomfortable with vanity, 
substitute modesty about being not so vain as some people you know. Just be sure to cleverly conceal it. Francois de la Rochefoucauld is another one of the folks who got it. What makes the vanity of others insupportable is that it wounds her own. Benjamin Franklin got it too. Most people dislike vanity in others, whatever share they have of it themselves. But I give it fair quarter, wherever I meet with it, being persuaded that it is often productive of good to the possessor, and to others who are within his sphere of action, and therefore, in many cases, it would not be altogether absurd if a man were to thank God for his vanity among the other comforts of life. Antonio Porchia also understood, although he did slip in ridiculous, probably as a minor concession to the vanity police, without this ridiculous vanity that takes the form of self-display, and is part of everything, and everyone, we would see nothing, and nothing would exist. Fortunately, there is a much better approach. You can simply reconceptualize. What folks refer to in you as vanity isn't vanity at all. Rather, it's merely a reflection of your positive self-perception. It's what the psychologists call a good self-image. If someone accuses you of vanity, just smile and say, I'm not a giant or a meek little lamb. I'm me, that's who I am. I'm taller than a cat, and shorter than a tree. I'm the very best me you'll ever see. I like to laugh, I like to smile. I like to daydream once in a while. I'm extra special but I'm still just me. I'm the very best me I know how to be. I always try to do my best. I'm good at a lot of things, and getting better at the rest. Here's the truth for everyone to see. It's totally terrific being me. I could tell you more stuff about who I am. I like spaghetti and strawberry jam. Here at last is the most spectacular part. I'm extra special because I'm so smart.